You are about to listen to the full interview with Chad Robinson. Sections of it were originally included in our Beast of Bray Road episode. If you haven't listened to the full episode, we recommend you go listen. It'll provide context for this interview. Chad Robinson is the director at the Matheson Memorial Library in Elkhorn. We spoke with him about the city of Elkhorn and Linda's lasting impact. I'm actually uh, not from Elkhorn or even from Wisconsin. I'm actually a native Texan. Um, But we moved up here to work at the Brown County Library in Green Bay back in 2000. And when I was uh, taking the job here in Elkhorn, one of the very first things you probably know this, but one of the first things you'll find out about Elkhorn if you Google it is that we have a beast of Bray Road. So um, for me, that was just a passing on the cake. That was I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> so um, and since I've been here, the uh, beast isn't like a real dominant factor in Elkhorn history or politics or anything else, but you certainly can't avoid him. So, um, and I had the, the pleasure of being able to meet uh, Linda Godfrey several times. She was a member of our friends group at the library and I've got my signed copy of her book right here. And um, so it was a real pleasure to get to know her. For someone who's unfamiliar with Elkhorn, can you kind of just give me a description of, of the city and what it looks like? And- Absolutely, yeah. Elkhorn is the uh, county seat of Walworth County. So we're right in the center of the county. Um, We're about 10,000 population, and uh, before the Beast, we were known as the Christmas Card Town. Uh, Back in the 1950s, there was a a show called March of Time that did an episode here about Elkhorn and its preparations for the annual Christmas parade, which still happens. And um, so a lot of the... uh, those images were captured by the wife of one of the uh, sponsors of the show Exxon Mobil. Uh, her name was Cecile Johnson, and she was a pretty well-known painter. And she painted all of these images around town, and those ended up being on the, I think it was called the Standard Christmas Card Company. So a lot of times in the 50s and 60s, if you were purchasing Christmas cards, you were actually buying images of Elkhorn. Definitely is a larger town in Walworth County, but it, it has that very big small town feel. We, uh, we have a lovely downtown. The library actually sits kind of kitty corner on the northeast side of, of our town square. And that's where the Christmas card uh, or the Christmas card town parade happens every year and, and pretty much all of the big civic celebrations. So it definitely has that classic Americana small town feel. And then there's Bray Road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when did you first move to Wisconsin? I'm just trying to figure out the timeline for when you became aware of the beast and then also when this beast was very popular in the media. So the beast was very popular way before I got here. I think that the big sightings happened in late December of 1991. I myself moved to Wisconsin in uh, 2000 and I moved to Elkhorn in 2015. I've gotten to know a lot of longtime residents of the town, especially with the library, but also with the Walworth County Historical Society. But uh, yeah, so I came late to the party as it were. But, uh, you know, it's still a topic. As a library director, we maintain a a kind of a file of beast clippings to go with our greater pamphlet file. And very often, or at least once a year, we have people coming from all over the country to uh, come and and see our files, pour through the old uh, copies of the week and uh, other articles that appeared. I, I think the last one was just a couple of years ago in the uh, Independent, which is our, our town paper. So um, it definitely uh, casts a, a big shadow. 
Yeah, it's a shame I'm not closer. I'd love to come and take a look at those, those material yeah. myself. You mentioned uh, Linda Godfrey. Can you give me just a quick introduction to who she was and what her relationship is to the story of the Beast of Bray Road? Absolutely. Yeah, Linda Godfrey was a local resident. She lived in the town of LaGrange, which is just north of Elkhorn. And uh, she worked as a journalist and a cartoonist uh, for The Week, which is no longer around, but it was a, a freely distributed weekly paper. She was a very accomplished author. She, she, her book is, is really well, no matter how you feel about The Beast, it is a really well-researched and well-written book. Um, she also wrote an amazing book uh, on a true crime case at the turn of the century in Whitewater called The Poison Widow really, really an awesome local author. Later in life, she really became the spokesperson of the Beast. Uh, she continued on with her research. She would sometimes come to the library or the, the society to speak about her recent findings or to share her evidence that she'd found. And I mentioned before, she was a great supporter of the library. We were able to help her with uh, some non-Beast research um, and, and a good friends member too. So it, it is a real shame that we lost her. But uh, yeah, she was, she's the one who kind of kept the flame of the beast alive or, or really the go-to person, you know, cyclically when, when someone would become interested, um, like yourself, you know, then she would be the, the go-to person to speak to. So we miss her. How did she first become aware of these stories of the beast? Where did those stories originate from? So, um, in her book and in person, she would tell you that it all began in, in late December with the Gibson and the Indrizi sighting. Um, it was, as she says in her book, a slow news day when it came along and she decided to pursue it. And more importantly, she drew a really cool legendary picture of it in action. And uh, that kind of started the whole phenomenon. Um, she continued on with it for for the next couple of years until she wrote her book and uh, really was able to do a lot of extra research and tried to, you know, kind of connect other strange sightings in this area and statewide with, with other creatures that maybe fit the MO or the profile of the beast. And um, even, I guess, looked into a, a, a similar legend in our neighboring state of Michigan, the Dog Man of, of Michigan, just just became our sole, Elkhorn's sole authority on cryptids, strange phenomenon, lycanthropy, I guess, um, you know, so the whole, the whole thing, uh, she, she really kept that, uh, that dream to find out what's going on alive for many years. Are you aware of her having an interest in these topics prior to the beast or was this kind of her gateway to becoming interested in, in this, this topic? I really don't know. Uh, you know, I, I met her way after the fact, but uh, I, I can tell you that, you know, she was a, a, a firm believer in it or, or believer in something out there. And so she was she was definitely big into to still trying to find out the truth and working with other investigators and things like that. If you read her book, it sounds like, no, she didn't really have any interest in this. It, she just had a, a good journalist instinct when she found a hot story to really chase it uh, to the ends of the earth. So so you've met, you had the opportunity to meet Linda in person. Can you kind of just give us a, just a, kind of just a little bit of an overview of her as a person, how, she, what your first impressions are and kind of how you remember her? Sure. Yeah. She, well, she wouldn't strike you as a werewolf hunter or a paranormal investigator. She was very sweet, very soft-spoken, very amiable. 
a big reader, you know, obviously a big supporter of the library and, and of writing and being an author and research, but, but very gracious, a wonderful host, a great presenter. She had a way in her writing to kind of come off a bit tongue in cheek. So it, the, the book is accessible, you know, to both skeptics and believers. In speaking, uh, especially when I knew her, I think she had really come around to being a kind of a true believer or maybe more of an apologist for the beast. So so there wasn't really that much skepticism in, in later life, but personally, just, just a really wonderful person, a very sweet lady. And how do you think that this story that she reported on, how does it fit into the wider picture of Elkhorn's history? Is there any precedent for this legend prior to her reporting that you know about? In terms of Linda's research, she did find other stories and she's, you know, found other witnesses. But from what I've, when I've spoken to locals, especially longtime residents, uh, it really wasn't something that was on their radar. It, it wasn't, it was just as, as surprised to them as it was to the world, I guess. And, and it really wasn't like a defining moment in their life or anything. It was just like, huh, that's weird. You know, and, and, and when you talk to people in Elkhorn, usually I would say 90% of people are probably skeptical, but they're not openly hostile to it. It's just kind of one of those interesting things that that we're unique for. So, so yeah, I, do, I don't think there was a lot of people discussing it until the story broke. Obviously, when the story broke, it brought a lot of attention globally to Elkhorn. How do you think residents feel about this being something that the town's so well known for? Do people celebrate it? Do they like it? Or are people kind of, are they over it? <laughs> it's a great question. Um, I, I think for the most part, they've made their peace with it. Um, now, you'd probably get a different answer maybe from residents of Bray Road, but, um, but the town in general, um, it's really not discussed a whole lot except around Halloween. And, you know, we, we kind of aid and abet that. We usually have Halloween programs at the library and, and very often it'll be about the beast um, or, or we'll, you know, have other groups that have been searching for him come and talk about their findings. In regards to him becoming a figure of local pop culture, it hasn't really happened yet, but we're uh, actually in the process, the, the library and the Elkhorn Rec Department is planning an event this October, and I got cleared to talk about this. It's going to be called Beast Days, and so it's going to be the the week before Halloween, and we're going to tie in a lot of local businesses and, and different groups and programs, and it's going to culminate with a uh, Beast Feast, like a little dinner with the Rec Department, and I'm told that the Beast is going to be uh, maybe a guest of honor there, so... Take that for what you will. <laughs> is this plan to be something that happens annually from this point on? Is that the hope that this event? That's will... the hope. Yeah, that it's just like another annual tradition for for everybody in Elkhorn, just to kind of acknowledge this uh, unique part of our history and uh, uh, kind of celebrate it for what it is. Would this be the only kind of annual event that happens that has the beast? front and center in the event itself or there, is there anything else that happens no that's that's pretty much it like kind of going back it it was a, a blip for most people in Elkhorn and it just was you know kind of didn't become a topic for conversation that lasted for years and years sporadically if there would be another sighting then it would kind of reignite but I, I would kind of say the the main or the default opinion of most longtime residents is a kind of relative ambivalence 
So uh, there, there hasn't ever been anything till, till those of us newcomers who have said like, hey, let's sort of embrace this. It's kind of fun. You know, at the time of the sightings, sure, one of the bakeries did make beast cookies. Uh, one of our local politicians used the beast to get elected. He did get elected, apparently. And there were, there were other things. It was always very tongue in cheek, but, um, but it kind of fizzled out and has a tendency to fizzle out. But then there's a lot of people, even though Elkhorn is a small town, it is very welcoming to new people. And we have a lot of new people moving into the area. And, you know, when they discover this, they, you know, there's different stages, intrigue, mystery, uh, let's go find it. (laughs) Or, you know, let's make that requisite drive down Bray Road in a moonlit night. Most people don't see anything. (laughs) But uh, so I think it's it's kind of as as newer people come in, as younger people uh, are growing up, it it's something that's kind of maybe looked at a little bit fondly, so. You mentioned that most of the residents probably are pretty ambivalent about it, except maybe the residents of who live along Bray Road. Can you maybe talk about some of the effects that have, that happened during the storm, media storm? And also, do they still have issues with people trespassing to this day, I suppose? As far as I know, not as bad. Um, I haven't heard our police chief describe any recent busts or anything, but I know, I know during the time, um, and you know, a little bit of background too, Elkhorn is very close to the Illinois border. And one thing you learn when you move here is there is a little bit of rivalry um, between the states of Wisconsin and Illinois. And the cliche is that, you know, the, the people from Illinois come up from Chicago to, you know, they, they visit our areas, our lovely, you know, the Walworth County is a big tourist destination. We have Lake Geneva uh, in Elkhorn. We have the Lauderdale Lakes in Delvin. There's Delvin Lake. When the story broke, there was a, a tale of a bar in Illinois that loaded up a bus and went on kind of a monster hunting safari, which, as you can imagine, didn't go over too well here in Elkhorn. And I know there have been instances of monster hunters who didn't clear their, didn't get their hunting permit, if you will, that went out there and, and began tromp, tramping around Bray Road. And, and the thing to remember for all uh potential monster hunters is that most of that is private property. So, and there are more than a few houses. A lot of, some people are kind of let down a little bit when they drive down and it's, well, this isn't that scary. Here's a nice farm. There's a nice field and, and it is a pretty short road, but, um, you know, it, it, I think every once in a while there might be an incident or two, but most of the investigators now will get permission. I, I believe to kind of do a stakeout or, you know, bring a piece of chicken to try to entice the beast to come out. Um, so uh, I don't think it's as as uh, extreme as it was during the height in that early 90s. I think it's calmed down. You gave us a little bit of a picture of what it looks like along Bray Road and that it's not actually very spooky. But could you maybe just paint a little bit more of a picture of the road itself and the surrounding area? Are there woods nearby? Kind of like what's it what's it look like? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Bray Road runs from just outside of town on the road to Lake Geneva, and it will go and eventually catch up to the highway that goes to Burlington. If you weren't aware of the history and it was a bright, sunny day, you probably wouldn't know anything. Uh, It's just a pleasant country drive. There are a lot of uh, farmhouses. There's a lot of cultivated fields, and there are, you know, groves and Uh, copses of woods that kind of spread around it and also some kind of low marshlands and some sections of the road. If you drove by it on a kind of a creepy cloudy day or or in the dead of night, like any country road, it can seem a little spooky. 
if you drive on it on a spooky day at night and you know about the legend, then, you know, you're, you're looking back and forth trying to see if you can, you know, be a part of the legend. But uh, it, it's actually a really pleasant, nice road with, uh, with more than a few houses. And actually, one of the nice things is now uh, when you drive down it, anybody can see the beast because a local resident has a large wooden sculpture of the beast, like rearing up. So everybody now is guaranteed to see it at least once. You mentioned during the height, there was a bakery that made beast cookies. Are there any other instances of things like that that the community has kind of adopted in a fun way to, to remember the story? Nothing really that uh, that's, that kind of stood the test of time. You know, things that, that kind of happened during the hype. Uh, there was a, a really popular shirt that incorporated, t-shirt that incorporated Linda Godfrey's drawing. A couple of times, one of our local printers has resurrected that idea and sold it at different events. We, we just had a Bucks County Paranormal group uh, there last April, and, and our friends group actually sold some of those shirts as a fundraiser. So that's kind of iconic, I think. That, that picture alone is iconic, but I think that particular t-shirt was like a real kind of a, a real emblem of that time and and what was going on so was there anything happening in walworth county during this period that you think caused the story to become as big as it did was there anything happening during that period of time in the county or even maybe beyond the county in the world because the story did leave um and kind of traveled around the world yeah it's a great question i, I i'm not aware of anything myself and if you look at the headlines like for example, the big story that broke, that was not the front page. I don't think there really was a lot or any major issues or any kind of economic upheaval or anything outside of, you know, what was happening in the country at large. I think maybe a part of it was how unexpected it was. You know, you, you don't expect to, in a small Wisconsin town, to have a monster scare. That plus outside of this community, the uniqueness of the monster. It wasn't like a Bigfoot or a river monster. I mean, it's a full-on creature with the head of a, a wolf. I mean, a lot of people would say that's cool. You know, I, I, I think that that more than anything else is the reason it, it really became such a big deal. I, I don't think there was a lot else going on here and maybe there wasn't a lot else going on around the rest of the country, so. You mentioned the Beast of Bray Road may have a, a cousin, the Michigan Dogman. Do you know much about that legend? I, I'm actually not very familiar with it. I'm curious to hear a little about um, Really just from what Linda wrote in her book, um, it's, uh, I guess there's a, a pretty big cycle of legends and, and there's actually a song that one of the local radio stations in Michigan plays. And uh, the, the creature is supposed to be like the Beast of Bray Road, where it's it's bipedal, hairy, and has, in this case, not really so much the head of a wolf, but more like the head of a large dog. And um, a lot of stories of uh, loggers and campers and hikers being terrorized by this creature. And some of the stories are really scary. They're really good stories, but that's, that's the extent of it. So I, I would, if anybody in Wisconsin or otherwise, who's not in Michigan, wants to pursue that. Linda has a whole chapter dedicated to it. So, Do we know who came first? Was it Michigan Dogman or was it the Beast of Bray Road? Do we know? I don't know. Like According to Linda's research, and she dug up quite a bit, she found a, a sighting of a beast-ish or Bray Road beast uh, back in 1931, I think. 
And she found other stories like the wild man of LaGrange. And uh, uh, there was a creature that's supposed to be around East Troy, which is another community uh, just to the north of us. Um, and those go back very far into the 19th century. Um, I'm sure Michigan could say the same. <laughs> I don't know. Like it, I guess it, I guess when you go looking for monsters, uh, they're out there. Are you able to recount any sightings or stories that you particularly enjoy about the beast? I guess one of the one of the scary stories that I heard involved uh, the county DNR, the person whose job was to pick up. We, we have a lot of deer in this area, and, and they become a real traffic hazard. And so a lot of times when an accident happens, the deer uh, carcass is left on the road until someone can come and collect it or tag it. And according to this story, the, the man drove up to on his routine, just picking up these deer carcasses and put it in the back of his truck. And he, and he it was a dark night and he got it back into the vehicle to, to, to tag or to log this uh, thing. And, and suddenly he heard something jump into the back of his truck. And he looked back and he, he saw the beast grabbing his deer, probably doing him a favor, I guess, and, um, and run off with it. So uh, having it in the back of your truck and then running off into the night is pretty picturesque, at least I think so. Have you met anyone local who's told you a sighting personally that they've had? Have you met anyone who's seen it themselves? Not a lot. And just anecdotally, people have told me, you know, maybe they've seen this weird shadow one night um, or uh, somebody told me that they they saw uh, when the corn during close to harvest season, like maybe in August when the corn is at the tallest around here, that they saw a wolf or a coyote or dog sticking its head out of the cornfield and they thought something was a little weird about it until they realized that maybe the head was sticking up way higher near the top of the corn like it was standing up nobody who'd ever want to go on record <laughs> but uh you know little stories like that you know if if on a dark night somebody brings up the bray road beast you might be lucky enough somebody says, well, oh yeah, my cousin saw it and here's the tale or my uh, my relative had an experience where it uh, chased his car or something like that. So, What sort of wildlife is in the area? Are there wolves and coyotes? Like what, what, what would people expect to find around there? Um, there are definitely coyotes in the area. Sorry, I'd say coyotes. I'm a Texan. <laughs> it's coyotes, but... Um, they, uh, there's definitely coyotes out there and uh, other, you know, the usual suspects. We have possum, we've got raccoons and uh, skunk and an awful lot of deer. Also woodchucks, uh, there's some beavers, uh, maybe a few beavers in this area. Those are more up north, but um, nothing really outside of a coyote that would uh, lead somebody to think it was something other than it was. So I guess that's one plus for the legend. In your experience, like how many people do you think put stock in this being a real creature versus how many people just look at it as a fun legend? Is there? I, I'd say them, and I can only speak for Elkhorn, um, but I, I would say the vast majority think of it as a fun legend. But at the same time, there are, and we respect them, of course, but there are people who have very deep convictions that the creature is real, um, that he's still active. So there are there are true believers out there for sure. And like I said, every once in a while, someone sees it and it makes the news. And, um, you know, so who knows? Has there ever been any evidence that you're aware of in terms of like photographs or footprints or anything along that nature to support it? 
Not really. There are stories in Linda's book, and Linda told me, because I asked this too, like, did anybody ever get the classic plaster cast, you know, like a Bigfoot? But um, she said usually th there were times when people claimed that they saw footprints, but either the footprints were not distinctive enough to warrant, you know, going and grabbing your plaster of Paris, or that in the excitement, it just wasn't thought of to do. So I don't think there's any, there's really not a lot of physical evidence out there. There's no hair samples. There's no plaster cast. And as far as I know, there aren't, there aren't any photographs for sure either. Now in the, there is a couple of photographs that appeared in a story a few years ago. Um, and, you know, I'll let you be the judge of what it is. To me, it looks kind of like somebody threw a coyote because <laughs> it looks like, it looks like a coyote that's just vertical but uh, it's, it's a little creepy. So uh, we don't have anything like the, the classic Bigfoot video or anything like that. Um, it's, it's definitely more of a, something that's, that's uh, told from person to person. It's more anecdotal than anything else. You mentioned that Linda uncovered a story that could stretch back as far as the 1930s for a sighting. Are you familiar with that story? Are you able to recount? that encounter? Um, vaguely, I, I don't remember the location. It was somewhere north of us out of the area. And uh, the story, I, if, from what I remember, it was handed down by uh, a son about his father who worked. And it's a pretty creepy story. Uh, his father worked as a night watchman for a church cemetery. And according to the legend, he was on his rounds as a night watchman and he suddenly saw a creature that fits the bill on a beast so bipedal hairy with a wolf or dog head that was um kind of moving around a particular gravestone i think according to the story he freaked out who wouldn't and he he took off but he decided to come back again so good on him and uh this time he had a more one-on-one -on -one experience with it he said the creature looked at him and growled something at him made a word and uh i i think the word was Gadara. I don't remember. I have, to, I have to read the book again. But um, the creature spoke to him, so that's new. And then he walked away from it, and it didn't pursue it. He never saw it again. And I think in Linda's book, she did find that Gadara was maybe tied into a, a, one of the biblical stories, maybe about the demoniac. Sorry, that's as far as I know. But yeah, so that it's a great story, and, and it happened a very long time ago. I want to say 31 or maybe 1929, but there's another good reason to go find her book. How would you like the Beast of Bray Road to be remembered? Um, it's, it's another good question. I would say, you know, we live in a fascinating world and the unexpected happens. And this one time and or these several times in, in our town, some people saw some strange things and um, the world is a is a mysterious place. And, and I think that makes it all the more remarkable. Do you believe in the Beast of Bray Road? What's the X-Files thing I, I want to believe? <laughs> um, I, uh, I think as, as a figure of folklore, it, it's, it's part of our county and our, our city's history and, and a very unique thing. I personally have never seen it. Um, there are a few skeptics on my staff, you know, that will tell you like, well, there's no reason to believe it's out there. But hey, again, this is a mysterious world. And don't we love our mysteries? So... Are there any mysteries in the region or other legends that you think parallel or come close to the prominence that this story's had? We have some fascinating histories in our, our city's history, um, but none of them with this supernatural 
kind of uh, quality to them. We've, we've had murder mysteries here in, in the city of Elkhorn, both solved and unsolved, and interesting things and interesting visits. But as far as I know, this is our only, uh, or this is the closest thing to our, our kind of city's ghost story. So yeah, I, at least I'm not aware. But remember, you know, I've only lived here for 10 years or so. And, and so I don't know if maybe around the fire at, at some of our longtime residents, maybe they do have other stories, but without Linda, we probably will never know. <laughs> so is there anyone who's kind of taken up the mantle since Linda's passing of being the beast of Bray road expert in Walworth County? Is there anyone that's kind of the go-to? I don't think so. I think that she was pretty much irreplaceable. There, there certainly isn't anyone, you know, that is a native to this area that's kind of become, you know, the, the keeper of the, the beast secrets, at least not that I'm aware of. But, you know, as you know, there's still a lot of people outside of this community that are, are really fascinated or find this legend compelling. So I'm sure that, you know, there'll be other people to take up her research. I, I don't know if they're going to have that unique vantage point that Linda had as a resident with the long history here and her uh, journalistic skill of getting people to open up about it. So I, I guess only time will tell, but um, I'm kind of suspect that maybe Linda was was really one of a kind on this. Can you tell me a little bit about how the story spread beyond Elkhorn and the media attention that followed it? Well, from my understanding, or at least according to the book, uh, really what happened is the, the sightings in 91 were picked up by the National Wire. And I think first it went into the tabloids and then later it was picked up by regional news stations. And then it, it kind of became something that, uh, I guess, devotees of, of uh, cryptozoology or the unexplained really kind of latched onto. I know there was a another wave of publications in, in specific, you know, magazines that deal with the occult or the unknown. So I, I think it's just such a unique story people really felt compelled to, to share it. It's crazy when you hear it, you know, like there's a, a werewolf type creature running around in rural southeastern Wisconsin. But yeah, I think it just kind of captured the imaginations of a lot of people. And I think it still captures the imagination of people when they find out about it. It certainly captured mine when I, I had not heard of it. I knew nothing really about Elkhorn until I moved here. But, and I'll tell you, that's the first thing that you find out. So at least if you Google it. So, um, so yeah, I, I I think that just the sheer uniqueness of the creature and the sightings and everything just made it the perfect news story. You mentioned the library keeps a, an archive of some of the material that's been published on the beast. Can you talk about kind of what's included in that archive? And if someone ever wanted to visit it, is there a way for them to do that? Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, it's part of our, our nonfiction collection. We have a, a large set of file drawers where we have clippings of, of interesting stories from Elkhorn and from Walworth County. And some of the bigger stories have their own folder. So this one has its own folder. Um, it consists of photocopies of those articles written by Linda Godfrey in the week. Um, some articles that appeared in our local paper, The Independent. And uh, some other just interesting tidbits that we found, like uh, when someone is making a documentary about it, there's usually an article. So we'll, we'll toss that in there too. Uh, it's by no means exhaustive, but whenever we do come along uh, with, or when we find out about a story, we usually make a copy and put it into the file, like we would with any other interesting thing from our local history. Is there anything we haven't touched on in regards to the story that you would like to share with people who maybe are learning about for the first time? 
Um, not really. I think those are the particulars. I will say that uh, our Walworth County Historical Society uh, does also have its own folder, but it's kind of the same thing. So if you if you're coming down to Elkhorn to hunt the beast, get permission first. But also, um, if you if you want to do some research, we're happy to have you at the library. We're also happy to have you at the um, the History Center, which is just on the other end of the square in the old city hall. That's where the Walworth County Historical Society keeps their archival material. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting app. It helps get this content in front of more listeners, which means we can produce more episodes more often. Visit our website at www.strange-phenomenon.com for a full list of sources and more episodes. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at strange underscore phenom and on Facebook at strange phenomenon, all one word. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Terrara. It's written and produced. Additional music provided by Sergi Cheramizanov. Tara Monk.